0: Our uh, scripture reading, if you want to turn with me there, is taken from Psalm chapter 4. We'll be reading Psalm chapter 4, 1 through 8. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord you have filled my heart with greater joy. than when their grain and new wine abound, I will let down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety.
1: I know it's a lengthy passage, but if we're going to make sense out of some of this, we need to read it and have a basic understanding of what is happening here. Job chapter one, and we're going to read through verse 10 in chapter two. The Bible tells us that in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. He was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, "'Where have you come from?' Satan answered the Lord, "'From roaming through the earth "'and going back and forth in it.' "'Then the Lord said to Satan, "'Have you considered my servant Job?' "'There is no one on earth like him. "'He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God, and shuns evil. "'Does Job fear God for nothing?' Satan replied. "'Have you not put a hedge around him and his household "'and everything he has? "'You have blessed the work of his hands "'so that his flocks and herds "'are spread throughout the land. "'But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, "'and he will surely curse you to your face.' "'The Lord said to Satan, "'Very well, then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger." And if you read through the rest of the chapter, you will find out that life came totally unglued for Job. He lost absolutely everything he had, including his sons and daughters. Verse 20, "'At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, "'Naked I came from my mother's womb, "'and naked I will depart,' the Lord gave, "'and the Lord has taken away. "'May the name of the Lord be praised.'" In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, "'Where have you come from?' Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, "'Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason.' "'Skin for skin,' Satan replied, "'a man will give all he has for his own life.' but stretch out your hand, and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, "'Very well, then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life.' So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, "'Are you still holding on to your integrity? "'Curse God and die.' He replied, "'You are talking like a foolish woman. "'Shall we accept good from God and not trouble?' In all this, Job did not sin in what he said." And that's as far as we'll read. Come for a little stroll with me down memory lane. When I was a kid, my mom used to knit. Now my mom knit all kinds of stuff. And one of the tasks that my older sister and I had was to hold the skeins of wool on our hands with our thumbs up, hold these skeins of wool, and mom would un- unwind this wool and wind it all into a ball, and she would go to the store and buy It seemed like hundreds of those things and we would have to stand there or sit there while she rolled all those things into balls. There were always knitting needles of various sizes in her bags and she usually had one project or another on the go. Mom knit things like scarves and, and, and mittens and, and hats and, and sweaters and socks and stuff like that. I don't know how many of you ever wore homemade woolen socks, but they're the worst than Gary Doyle. What happens when you wear those things in rubber boots? They wind up around your toes, don't they? They never stay up. I'm like, Mom, what were you thinking? I wore woolen sweaters, sometimes so thick and heavy you almost cooked in them my mom kept knitting pretty much right to the end of her life but she never understood how knitting went out of style and she would still knit stuff for our teenage daughters stuff that my daughters would never dare to wear she put all this time and energy and money and and whatever into knitting things for the girls but i think one of the problems and and some of you can probably tell me more about this than what I know. But one of the problems with knitted garments is that you start with one thread and they're all made out of one thread, right? For the most part, they're made out of one thread. I have no idea how that really worked, but I know that mom would start with one end of thread and work it onto a knitting needle, and then the other needle would come out and she would go to work, and I tried learning this when I was a kid, but somehow I could never get the coordination to do it. But when she came to the end of that ball of wool, she would grab another ball and she would tie the end of the one ball to go on to the end of the other one and keep going. And all those balls of wool turn into a piece of clothing. I don't know how she worked in the colors. I don't know how she came, uh, came out with the different patterns in the garment. But, uh, and I don't know how it turned into a sweater with sleeves and cuffs and a collar and, and sometimes a zipper or sometimes buttons or something or another. But I know that when she came to the end of that project that the very end of that thread was tucked away somewhere in that garment and she used to hide it. But the trouble with the knitted garment from what I remember is, if you found that end of thread and you worked it loose, and you started pulling on it, you could unravel that entire garment. Do you remember some of that? Or if you snagged a thread somewhere in the middle and you got a loose piece, you could start pulling on it. You could pull on that piece of thread and things would start to unravel. Sometimes my mom could fix it. My mom did something called darning socks where she would, woolen socks, where she would put a patch on a heel or in the bottom of a sock, and sometimes she could keep things from unraveling completely, but sometimes it was too late, and she pulled out the entire project and rolled it back into balls and started all over again. And you know, sometimes life is like that, isn't it? There's a piece loose somewhere or another and somebody, either you or I or somebody pulls on it and our life starts to unravel. Our life starts coming unglued and sometimes we can stop that and sometimes we can put a patch on it and maybe it doesn't look the best but you can kinda get it together again. But sometimes life completely unravels and it comes completely unwound. But the Bible teaches us that when life comes unravelled, God stays in control. When life comes completely undone, or even when it starts to unravel just a little bit, God stays in control. Now, how do we know that? Well, one thing that happens is that life happens to all of us. Life happens, stuff happens. There was Job. According to the Bible, Job was a good man. He feared God and he shunned evil. He was a man that is described in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, where we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Psalm 112, verse 1, "'Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, "'who finds great delight in his situation.'" And there's no, no two ways. When you've been reading through the book of Proverbs and through this last month or so that I was gone, I kept reading through Proverbs. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that and do it for a year or two or three. I'm learning stuff. Every day, I'm finding stuff, I'm reminded of things, but there is no way that a righteous life doesn't result in God's blessing. And it did for Job. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. He was a priest for his household. And life started to come unraveled for Job. The Bible tells us that there was a meeting in heaven and the sons of God, including Satan, came before God and Satan says to God, let me pull on that little piece of string. Let me begin unraveling Job's life and I'll bet you he's going to curse you to your face. God says, you're on buddy. Now the trouble is that Job didn't know anything about that meeting. And God put some limitations on him. He says, you can touch everything he has, but you can't touch him. And so Satan went out and did that. Well, that didn't work, and then he came back again, and God says, see, I told you it wouldn't work. And Satan said to God, let's up the ante a little bit. Let me at him, and I'll bet he will curse you to your face. And God said, okay, you can do whatever you want to him, but you can't take his life. And Satan pulled more of that string. And all that Job knew was that his life completely unraveled. He didn't deserve it. Job was totally ignorant of what was going on. And he was bewildered. He said, my life has come unraveled and I've done nothing to deserve it. And sometimes that happens to us as well. Sometimes God causes or sometimes God allows our lives to unravel and our tendency is to look for a fix. I want to fix it. I want to do something about it. Kathy and I got home Wednesday or Friday afternoon and one of the things that we do whenever we leave the house for any period of time is we turn off the water. We had a broken water pipe one time uh, when we were gone. In fact, it broke just after we got home again. We said, that's not happening to us again. And so we shut off the water. I turned it back on on Friday and everything seemed to be okay. Last night before we went to bed, I went downstairs into our basement and our water heater is heating or leaking for some reason or another. So it's something I have to deal with. I don't know how many trips to the hardware store it's gonna take and how many dollars it's gonna take. But that's the man thing, I gotta fix it. Okay, something went wrong, I should be able to fix it. There must be a cause, and if there's a cause, I can fix it. And sometimes we like to think that with our lives, like there must be some cause. Why has my life come unglued? And some of you have been there. You've lost a spouse, you've lost a child. There's been illness in your life. Your life has come unraveled and you've done nothing to cause it or to deserve it. It does and sometimes God allows that to happen and we can't fix it. It's not a matter of sin. It's not a matter of lack of faith on our part but sometimes life just becomes unraveled like it did for Job. Sometimes other people make our lives unravel. When I was a kid, and maybe it's because I was a Dutch kid and and, and mom was Dutch, but the kids with whom I went to school also all had woolen stuff that they wore. And one of the games we used to play was to find the loose piece of thread on someone else's sweater. And you could pick at it and pull it and begin to unravel. And your buddy would get into trouble when they got home, but they didn't do anything to cause it. We were just malicious or dumb or whatever other word you want to put on it. Sometimes other people make our life unravel. There are things like sexual abuse that happens to us as children that messes us up for the rest of our lives. It happened to me. And I don't know if I'm messed up or not. I don't know if it would if I would be different if it had never happened. I don't know. Sometimes a spouse will be unfaithful. Sometimes mom and dad divorce. Sometimes there's a substance abuser in your family, an alcoholic. Or a drug addict. Sometimes jobs come to an end. Or sometimes there's an accident. Or sometimes people just get wounded. For one reason or another. Bible school is starting up here shortly. But I remember just about a year ago. At the conference that was there. Gracia Burnham. Do you remember her? She was a speaker. Her life came unglued one day. When when guerrillas in the Philippines. Captured her and her husband. Didn't deserve it. Completely unglued. She lost her husband. There are all kinds of effects that result from something like that. It wasn't her fault, but other people did it. And then sometimes we cause our own messes. I used to look for the end of the string sometimes. The stuff my mom made for me. And sometimes I'd pull on the end of the string just to see what would happen. How far can I pull this before I get into real trouble? Or sometimes I would snag something. And then my mom would say, what were you thinking? Well, I didn't think it would end this way. Sometimes we cause our own messes. Sometimes we're unfaithful to our marriage. Sometimes we get into addictions. Sometimes we break the law and we wind up doing dumb things. I don't know if you saw the story on the news last night, but there are a group of teenagers going somewhere in the U.S. and and on a double-decker bus, and a 16-year-old boy decided to stick his head out the emergency hatch on the roof of the bus, and they went under an overpass, and it wasn't high enough for his head. Sometimes, we unravel our own lives, and we do dumb things. And yet, the reality is, in spite of all that, God stays in control. There's a concept that a lot of people don't like. And the concept is that God is sovereign. And that word means that God has the supreme authority or power. We use a $5 word to describe that. That word is omnipotence. Omni means all or everything. Potence means power. And that means that God has the right to tell us what to do, that he has the right to tell us not to do what not to do, And God has the right to use us as he wishes. God has that right. Because God is sovereign, he has the right to tell us what to do, to tell us what not to do, and then to use us as he wishes. Romans 9 verse 20 and 21 says, but who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? If God is my sovereign, he has the right to do with me as he wishes. Let me tell you a little story. I brought a couple of my tools to church. I'm not going to swing it. But this is my old axe. It's been with me for a lot of years. I used to use it back in the days when I was falling wood for our wood stove. I used it, it's handy. Uh, It's not my big axe, it's my little axe. I used it for driving wedges into trees as I was falling them. I used it for a lot of years for that. I used it for making kindling for our wood stove. I did some light splitting with it. It rode in my logging truck for a lot of years because the law said that I had to have a shovel and an axe and a fire extinguisher on my truck. It's been used and abused. It's on its about third handle and if you look at it here, it's kind of not up because I'm not always accurate with an axe and it's called an overstrike. So it needs another handle again. And if some of you are really good at doing that, at shaping the handle to fit the eye of the axe, uh, please put a new handle in this axe for me. I hate doing that job. It's an axe that I used to use. Uh, I took a course in building a log house one time. It was so sharp you could shave yourself with it. It's still pretty sharp. It's been a good axe. It suffered a lot of abuse over the years. And in fact, I'm ready to retire it. Do you know why? bought a new one. This is a dandy. It's got an unbreakable handle. And if you look at it from the end, you see how fat it is in the middle? It's gorgeous for splitting. I used it this summer this axe here, I got to work and work and work. This axe here, one good shot with that boy and wood goes flying. I love it. But you know what? This old axe, it's never belly ached. It's never complained. It's never said, why have you abused me? It's never said to me, why have you left me out in the rain? Why have you used me for purposes for which I was never intended? Why have you allowed me to get dull and chipped and dilapidated? Why have you broken my handles? It's an axe. It's an inanimate object. Why am I telling you this? In the Old Testament, God's people, Israel, did a lot of dumb things. And so God said to his people, I need to discipline you, and I'm going to use someone to do that. I'm gonna use the kingdom of Assyria to discipline you. And so God did. Assyria was the place, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Remember the story of Jonah? He was told to go to Nineveh and he didn't want to go. The Assyrians were nasty people. And so God said, I'm going to bring them against my people Israel. And they're going to hang a licking on my people. But the trouble is the king of Assyria said to himself, ha, look at me. Look at what I did. Look at how good I am. Look at all those people that I walked all over the place. I am really somebody. And God says, oh, buddy, you stepped in it now. I've got a lesson for you. And so God said to him these words. He said, does the axe raise itself above him who swings it or the saw boast again him who uses it? as if a rod were to wield him who lifts it up or a club, brandish him who is not wood. This is my ax. I bought it. I paid for it. It is mine. I can do with it as I jolly well like because I am sovereign over this ax. Oh, it's been nasty to me. It cut me a time or two, but it's my ax. I can do with it what I want. And if I belong to God, he can do with me what he wants, right? Because he's sovereign and he's supreme. And I don't have the right to say to God, why are you doing this to me? I don't like what you're doing. I think you're out of line, God. You owe me an explanation. You owe me some justification what you're doing to me. God doesn't owe me anything. God is sovereign. Now the other side of that coin is that God is also caring. God is more than a sadistic, self-serving despot. He is our heavenly Father who loves us so much that he gave us his own son so that he could spend all of eternity with us. Let me take you to Psalm 139 for just a few moments. I don't have time to read it all. But let me take you there for just a little bit. Psalm 139, this tells us a little bit about God. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, oh, Lord. You hem me in behind and before. Some people hate that. I love it you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. God was there when I was made, and he didn't say, oops. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. You know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. There were no mistakes that were made. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me, even the days that I messed up or other people messed me up, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I have a heavenly father who loves me. I don't understand what he does to me. I can't justify it. I can't explain it. But I have to trust him. I don't have any other choice. Because other than him, there's only me. And that's not enough. How precious to me or how precious concerning me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand when I awake. I am still with you. So 2 Corinthians 4, 4 verses 16 to 18 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Compared to hell, anything you go through on this earth, is a cakewalk. Our light and momentary troubles compared to eternity, these 60 or 70 or 80 years that we live on this earth, are nothing. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen for what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So, you know what? Whether I pull on the string, whether someone else pulls on it, or whether God Himself pulls on it and my life becomes unraveled, I still have a God who remains in control. And our task, our privilege, and our responsibility is to trust. Father, so easy to complain, so easy to think that we have a right to know, but you are sovereign, you are supreme, and you are totally, utterly trustworthy. Father, give us the faith and the courage and the determination to trust in you, no matter how or when or why our life unravels. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.